up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 159. I tried to fade that out, but it didn't work. <laughs> I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me today for this super special edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, my teammates, Peyton Burton, Trevor Everett. Fellas, we are previewing live game action on today's podcast. Hell yeah, we're back. Well, it's 365 days. We're back college basketball for the next like seven months from here to like April. We finally got college basketball back. I'm so excited to preview. Don't count. I probably got my math wrong. Quit it. Don't count. I'm not a mathematician. Shut up, Trev. Shut up. Stop it. Uh, okay. Quit it. It's only close six. Enough. You were close. That was good. I thought it was, I definitely thought it was like four and a half. So I, honestly, you, had, you were closer than I would have been. What did I say? So. Seven? Yeah. Was, you were close. I don't yeah. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Found myself on the back on that one. But yeah, we're back previewing games, and dude, I can't wait for the season to start. Is there ever a more appropriate thing to think that IUPUI will be the first game played on November 6th? And it's at like, what, 1130, something like that. It's an early tip. It tips at 11 a.m. Eastern, which is even I, crazier. I love college basketball. I don't love it that much to watch that game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to find it. That's the saddest part about it. I don't think it's on TV. You have yeah. to put like, the bat signal up to try to get it, like yeah. old school radio. Yeah. Yeah. Just again, we're going to talk live college basketball today on the Thursday episode of Everything College Basketball, episode 159. Normally, obviously, we record this on Sunday. We will get back next week once the first full week college basketball starts. It'll be back on Sunday's the main show where we'll preview the first half of the week. Thursday, we'll review and then preview the weekend. But Sunday's a special episode where we pay tribute to Bob Knight, who just passed away yesterday. And we got an interview with Coach Davenport, so we figured we'd do it today on episode 159 on the Thursday show. So that's why it's a little off, but next week we'll be back full-fledged with the, the right amount of episodes. Also, today's episode is brought to you in part with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information on that. Um, before we get into the previews and all that, we do have some housekeeping stuff I do want to talk about. And Peyton, I- I'm sorry to do it. We had no plans on doing it. And then Kenny Payne went and dropped another one. Earlier in the week, on Monday, Louisville played their final exhibition game against the mighty powerhouses of Kentucky Wesleyan. And they lost. I think it was 71-68 final score. Kentucky Wesleyan's picked eighth preseason to finish in their conference in Division Two. They're not even a good team. They they don't have anybody, or they didn't have anybody bigger than 6'8", I don't think, 6'7". And Louisville got out-rebounded, they got out-played, they got out-tough. Peyton, this is two years in a row now, Kenny Payne has dropped exhibition games. Do you know his record in the one full season at Louisville against Division II colleges, what his record is now? 2-2? Yeah. That's embarrassing. And so it's been the talk of college basketball world before the Bob Knight news. So I feel like we got to touch on it again. And I hope for the last time, man, but it's not looking good for the, it's not looking good for card nation fellas. So that's your team. Let it all out. I don't know if I want to. I'm sure people are probably expecting a big old rant like I did last year, last season when Kentucky beat the shit out of Louisville. And I went on that passionate rant about Kenny Payne and just basically calling him and the whole program out. 
if you're expecting me to do that again this time, I'm not going to because I'm going to be a lot more calmer because I this situation sucks. I wrote note for the when you sent us the format yesterday for today's episode 149, the show, I did a lot of notes and I prepared myself. I didn't take any notes. I didn't write anything down besides one quote that I'll mention here in a minute. As far as the game goes, I did not watch any of the game. Did not watch one single minute of that Kentucky Wrestling game. Didn't watch a single second of that Kentucky Wrestling game. And I'm thank to God I didn't watch that game because I've been probably a little bit heated. Actually, nah, I, I lied. I've been pissed off watching that. <laughs> because we struggled in game one against Simmons College. Ended up winning that game by 40, but it was like an ugly 40-point win performance out of us. Had like 24, 23 turnovers, something like that. It looked awful. And then we lose this game in a game that Sky Clark has like 25 points, seven boards, a couple assists. He played he, he played pretty damn well, to be honest. You mentioned two years in a row that we've lost to a Division II team in an exhibition game. It happened two times in a row on the same damn day. That's the crazy day. A year apart. A year apart it happened. Yeah. Uh, a lot of bads going on in the program. It's not pretty. A lot of stuff. Tilly Donovan, I'm sure you'll probably mention about that, has posted some interesting stuff on Twitter about this whole situation going out of Louisville. I know you have some quotes that you want to mention. I want to say one quote for me to mention because it's the one quote that I truly care about that I just it bothers me and it bothers Carly Nation. Uh, but just go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, we have the same quote, actually, because I know which one you're going to say about the talents. So go ahead real quick. So, okay, before I do that, because I thought you were going to mention the other one, too. Let me go ahead and mention the other one. He said something about Amani Okafor, how he needed two more rebounds out of him. He needed two more rebounds out of Amani Okafor. Bro, you didn't even play him one single minute. He didn't even touch the floor. So how the hell can he get two rebounds come when he didn't even play? That's not – that just – that's just not smart on his part. But I'm I'm willing to let that one go. This next one, I ain't willing to let it go. He says, and I don't have the specific quote. I'm paraphrasing here. He pretty much said, we're not going to win games by out-talenting teams. Do anybody know what this logo represents? What this team's called? Does this say uh, Loyal Marymount? Does it say, like, UMBC, UMKC, UM, who gives a shit? Like, does it, like, I'm so confused. Will Louisville... A top yeah. 10 program nationally. We're Louisville. Yeah. And we're playing a D2. Hold up. We're playing a D2 <laughs> opponent who's predicted to finish eighth in their conference. And you're telling me as a Louisville program, we can't act talent them. We can't beat them with talent. Are you fucking shitting me? And Trev, really? you know the and you know the funny thing about it, as a head coach who says this, who is known as or was known as a great recruiter, who who's in charge of the talent? Here's what's even crazier, though. Like, think about it from this. This is the angle I actually got from it, or I thought from it. So when a coach says something like that, we're gonna, take take Kenny Payne out of it. Say a coach says that, right? You you hear a high school coach say it. You hear any level of coach say it. You say we can't out talent teams. Well, okay, say you aren't, like, say you're the Fairleigh Dickinson over Purdue, right, last year, right? They they did not have the talent to beat Purdue. What do you have to do to beat teams when you don't have the talent? You have to outcoach them. That's yep. the that's the thing I got out of that was so funny was, like, he is essentially, I mean, he, he is defecating on himself with that comment. It's 100% what he did. 
That's all well, I have. And, that, I mean, and, that's all I have. And you look at the teams in the last year. There's no identity of how Louisville wants to play. That's what, if you listen to Louisville radio right now, they're blasting him as they should because there's no identity. There's no, like, you. it's not like Jim Beheim. You knew going in that his teams were going to try to play in transition. They're going to play a 2-3 zone on defense. Nobody knows what Louisville's trying to do. You don't know what they're running on offense. You don't know what their identity is. Are they wanting to play big? Are they wanting to play small? Are they wanting to shoot threes? Are they want to slow it down the half court? Nobody knows in a year. And Peyton and Trevor, and I'll ask you this both. I put it on our Twitter, and I'm legit about this. I think Jeff Brom, Louisville football coach in his first year, may just win more games in one year of football who only plays 12 regular season games than Kenny Payne made in two years at Louisville. He won four last year. If we're sitting here now, look, and I and we're going to talk about this because I have this whole deal of exhibition games don't mean a whole lot to me. But in this case, based upon last year and what you see on the floor now, do we even think Louisville can get five wins this year? Here's the thing, and I normally always agree with you, and I've always said this in the past, that I agree. Exhibition games don't mean shit. doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything for your record. Like, it doesn't, doesn't matter whatsoever. But for Louisville's case, when you're coming off of an awful, embarrassing four-win season, it means everything. Because you need, when you're coming off that type of season, you need momentum coming into this season. And when you have the talent that's on this roster, and we do have talent, we have a top 10 recruiting class coming into this year. We got Sky Clark coming in, who's a former five-star. Hatfield's a former five-star. We've got talent on this roster. Kwan Davis is a top Juco athlete. We've got a lot of talent on this roster. So there's a lot of them. We need this type of momentum coming into the season, and we just simply just don't have it. And I love that Trev mentioned the point about how Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue by outcoaching them. I'll go. I'll give a shout out to one of our friends who's been on the show, and you'll hear him on our next episode, episode 160, Scotty Davenport. Scotty Davenport at Bellman. We played first game of the season. Bellman played at Louisville in the Yum Center. Bellman didn't beat Louisville. By at talents in Louisville, they mm. beat him because Sky Davenport outcoached Kenny Payne by a mile. If you took Coach Davenport, if you took Scotty and gave him this exact same Louisville roster, they oh win God. minimum fifteen games. Yeah, they win fifteen games at least with the same roster. Uh, looking at the magazine now, uh, just to make sure I have my notes in order. Um, I want Phil, who's not here, unfortunately. If there was a way to go out and send however many copies out, where if <laughs> I could, if I could, retra- if I could retract <laughs> number twelve Louisville and put them not at number twelve, oh, I went with twelve Louisville, thirteen Virginia Tech, and fourteen Boston College, oh, and I brother. severely regret it because now that you say the football wins thing, I can just see the tweets now. Well, I, I just look, I got a chance to see them up close last year against Duke, and obviously it's a completely different team. I think this year's Louisville team is a lot more talented, uh, all jokes aside. But like, j- j- just to see the, the sheer dishevelment on Kenny Payne's face in a game where I know that Coach Shire like had gotten to his stride by then in, in February and was out coaching almost anybody he was playing against or coaching against, but. I mean, they they held their own there. It was a good game in the first half. Duke had some, you know, had some little blips there from from shooting th- from three. But I mean, just I got a chance to see it up close. And like, I'll leave you. I'll leave my final thought on this whole debacle. Uh, I think is how we had it written down. 
with I'll just continue to hammer my point. I think Nolan Smith is ready to be head coach. Obviously, you see the history of guys doing taking their due at a smaller program, but I I just believe in the guy. Um, I I have no other rhyme or reason. I think he's a great coach. I, he was the most prepared looking person on that sideline for that game even though they were down by 20 at the game I was talking about last year. Well, you you play in the last thing we'll say on Louisville, and then we'll move on. So some of the tweets came firing out the last couple days after this. Trilly Donovan um, basically alluded to things are getting spicy in Louisville right now. Some rumors came out of KP getting an altercation with Karan Davis that was then denied by people inside the Louisville program. Basically, things are not good. And you hear one of the other rumors is that apparently um, people within the athletic department approached Danny Manning about taking over his interim coach, and he declined. I mean, again, these are unconfirmed rumors. He said no. We don't know if this is true. We're just saying what we hear. And I'm with you. I've said this at the end of last year. Nolan Smith should just be the guy, put the interim tag on him, and give him a chance because he sure in the hell ain't going to do no worse. So last thing in Louisville, I'll ask you about this, and I think I know all of our answers. Does KP make it past December as head coach of Louisville? Bro, bro, he might not make it past these first two weeks in November. If we start the season like we did last year, going like 0-5 or whatever, 0-3, or obviously 0-11, but I'm just paraphrasing here. He might not make it through the first couple weeks of the season. He might be gone before we even, before the month of November ends. So I think he's gone completely by December. So you think he's gone before you guys even head up to Madison Square Garden in a couple weeks? If we saw the season like we did last year, absolutely. If you lose Monday night to uh, uh, UMBC, you think he's done after that? He's gone. They're already, getting, they're already packing his bags. He's out of here. Um. So my answer is going to be interesting. So you play UMBC, Chattanooga, Coppin State, Texas, and then uh, UConn or Indiana, MSG, your timeout. Um, New Mexico State, uh, November 26th, and then Bellarmine on the 29th. I think if they don't win, I think if they don't win th- three of those games, I don't think he makes it past the Bellarmine game. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you, and and I I mean I think Nolan Smith is the right opportunity or the right person for that because he it can't be no worse. Things are it terrible. Can't be no worse. Things are terrible in the Ville, but let's move on from that. Um, Real quick, we did have a couple big, like, they call them exhibition games, which they are, but they were charity games, massive games. Um, Tennessee goes up to Michigan State and gets a win up there. Dalton Neck looks phenomenal. He looks really good, but I will caution people, again, that, again, exhibition games don't matter. Tennessee beat the hell out of Gonzaga last year in a charity game, the first of its kind. Beat the, I mean, I think they beat them like 30. And Tennessee was fine last year. But they weren't this Final Four team that people hyped them up to be. And you already see the hype now. It's a good, like, momentum builder. But not enough cause to be down on Michigan State after a charity game. And not enough for me to say Tennessee's going to dog walk the SEC and make it to the Final Four. The same way with Arkansas. Great win. Shout out Hog fans who 20,000 people for a charity game last week. And they beat Purdue in overtime. But... It's exhibition game. So any, and then also Illinois beats Kansas in a charity game. So any of those three charity games, big time top 25 matchups in the ECB poll, all of them inside the top 25, but anything from that stands out to you or overreactions or anything from you two on those three games? 
I didn't get to watch the Tennessee Michigan State game um, throughout the whole game. I watched like the last like eight six minutes of the second half, and I thought Tennessee played pretty damn well, uh, especially when when they did it in uh, East Lansing in Michigan State. I uh, especially doing it without Sakai Ziggler and Fiscovi on the floor. I thought that was really impressive by them. Tyson Walker looked pretty damn good for Michigan State. Um, Obviously, exhibition games, they don't count in the record. It don't matter, but it's a cool experience. As far as the Illinois-Kansas game, I thought Illinois played very fucking well. I thought uh, – DJ Shannon's going to mess around and be an All-American this year. He's going to mess around and be an All-American. I agree. And uh, Coleman Hawkins is a great compliment to the police. Let's see if that's a substantial growth throughout the whole season. Um, Illinois started the UF hot last year and kind of dwindled down once Big Ten play uh, started. I think Illinois can start the season off pretty hot this year as well. We'll see if they can hold true the rest of the Big Ten Conference, though. But uh, I was very impressed with uh, Illinois and how well they played, specifically on offense. I, too, did not watch Tennessee-Michigan State uh, much or at all. And uh, but I did watch a lot of Kansas uh, and Illinois. Illinois is legit. I think they're, I'm a lot higher on them now after seeing I know exhibition games don't matter. But you know, like you, you guys, I won't echo much more of the Terrence Shannon stuff. I just think they they look like a complete team. I know they tailored off last year. They also, you know, they had a few things working against them. But um, I think I'll leave it at this. Some of the Hunter Dickinson minutes and seeing how he plays. I know it's fresh and it's early. I just wasn't impressed early on. I think that's fair. Um, and by the way, again, shout out to the Hog fans down in Fayetteville. 20,000 people for an exhibition Crazy. game. Well done. Well done. Um, I, I mean, Fayetteville's all – that game later in the year, here in a, about a month, when Duke comes to town for the newly minted ACC-SEC Challenge. $2,000 for a ticket, by the way. Oh, my God. And $2,000. Those teams may be top 10 both, depending on how Arkansas starts and if Duke is as good as we think. But – at least top 15, top 20 matchup, that place is going to be insane. <laughs> insane. Um, but uh, moving on real quick, uh, NIT news that got everybody's panties in a bunch, and I don't like it myself. So th- th- this last week, the NIT board of managers announced that regular season champions who do not win their conference tournaments and are not selected for the NCAA tournament will not receive an automatic bid to the NIT. Instead, the NIT will guarantee bids for uh, – yeah, bids for two teams from each of the Power Six conferences, as well as two spots for the top two teams and net rankings that were not selected for the NCAA tournament. I hate this because it screws the mid-major and low-major teams who win their regular season, have an incredible regular season, that just get bounced in a one-game, see-you-buy-you're-done conference tournament. They could always look forward to being a part of NIT where it means a hell of a lot more to those programs than it does the 19th best team in the SEC or ACC. And now you're screwing them. I don't like it. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think it's really dumb. And I, I wrote this down. It's like they're trying to say, as far as like the mid-major, low-majors goes, it's like they're trying to say the regular season doesn't necessarily matter at all for these teams. These team, these schools work so damn hard throughout the regular season to get an accomplishment like this, to set them up for a potential chance to make the actual NCAA tournament. And by hook or crook, like whatever it is, if they lose in like their conference tournament and they don't make the NCAA tournament, they still have like a security blanket to live off of because they still make the NIT. They'll get I don't know how if they get money from that or not. I don't actually know, but they'll still get to play in like a competitive like postseason type of deal. Now that's completely gone, and I think that's a really dumb move in my opinion. So here's what I don't understand about it. 
and and like I'm I don't have a ton more to add, but I do want to make it clear that I guess if we go off of last year, and I'm doing this loosely because this net ranking sheet on NCAA.com is stupid and hard to read. If I understand this right, North Carolina and Michigan or Clemson would be the two teams that would get in over North Texas last year, mm-hmm. who end up winning the whole damn thing. Yep. Right. So, yep. I, what you're telling me the 31 win North Texas deserves it less than a North Carolina team that that didn't deserve to make the NCAA tournament in the first place, who didn't want to be there, first of all. This is the point mm-hmm. people are making up, and that makes me so frustrated, is that North Carolina chose to not be there, right? Like, that's the whole point of this is, like, why, you know, the NIT has become this devalued thing when you look at, like, even the CBI. Shout out to Tony Patelis, right? Charlotte, <laughs> you know, Charlotte was one of the best teams in the American last year, and they proved it. They won the CBI, which I think is important to understand. I know this is not the NIT, but, you know, North Texas was really good in the NIT last year. And then there was – who else was it? UAB was unbelievable. They played each other in the NIT championship game. It was also another 31 team, right, coached by Annie Kennedy. So, I think this is just stupid. Like, I, I it, this is this is a crutch for all of these large programs, and I think it does a disservice to smaller programs. I, I mean, I, instead yeah. of getting the awesome North Texas team who just gets knocked off in the tournament and wins 31 games, I can't wait for these NIT games of – 12 win Northwestern against 15 win Georgia Tech. I mean, that's what we're going to get pretty much. Um, It's so stupid. Um, Per Kreeza, speaking of interesting, you know, transfers from Arizona to West Virginia this year, it got announced a couple days ago that he has suspended the first nine games of the regular season for West Virginia due to receiving impermissible benefits while at Arizona. Thoughts on Kirk Kreeza's suspension? I think that hurts West Virginia to at least start the season. Um, they're coming in with a new, pretty much a new revamped roster and a new head coach. Um, a lot of talent surrounds this roster. They've already lost Jose Perez, who left their program and went to Arizona State uh, before the season even started. And now they're losing one of their better premier players in Kuru Carrizo for the first nine games of the season. I think that sets them back in their production early on. Um, but once they get Big 12 play, I still think they'll be able to have, they'll be able to have some ta- have enough talent to compete there like and potentially get a bid in the NCAA tournament. But early on, it hurts them. Yeah, I'll trust the guy who wrote the entire you know seven hundred fifty word preview in the magazine. But I will say nine games is at least at least it's not more, I guess, because Baba Miller for Florida State that missed part of ACC play. Like Peyton said, they're gonna West Virginia plays Missouri State, Monmouth, and Jacksonville State. I think they're gonna be able to handle those three. So that's three right there. Their next six, uh, they're in the Fort Myers tip off against SMU, SMU. That's number four. They'll either play Virginia or Wisconsin. That's gonna hurt. Um, they'll be you know. They'll have the the disadvantage at guard there. They'll play Bellerman, um, who keeps coming up in this, which is so funny. Like, they are stacking, Cavenport, and they're man. stacking the thing like you're talking about. Um, he They will be without him for the St. John's game, uh, for the – what do they call the rivalry with Pitt? I know it's a bigger thing in football. The backyard brawl. There you go, the backyard brawl. So they pay yeah. Pitt. Without Drexel would be what's going to hurt them. I think that's one, two, three, four – Five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's it. So the Drexel game is it. They'll get him back for the UMass uh, Basketball Hall of Fame Classic, and then after that, Radford, Toledo, and into conference play. So I think they'll get him back at the right time, but that's a really so, tough – they'll get him back on December 16th against UMass. So you're telling me he gets three games to play in that system before they head into Big 12 play? Yeah, he gets he gets Radford, uh, Toledo, and then Ohio State. Toledo's Ooh. no joke this year. That's a no. good game. Yeah. I wrote about him in the Mac. Toledo's really good this year. After really Ohio State, tough. by the way, they turned the calendar over. Ready for this? 
Houston, Kansas State, and Texas. Yeah, that's what I'm year. saying. <laughs> Oklahoma, I, I, Kansas. Oh that's my what I'm, god. That's what I'm saying. Three games to prepare for those games. New system, oh god, new coach, yeah. new new band roster. We get three games, and then you get that gauntlet of Big Twelve play. Mm. Well, think about it. Three month, two months ago, three months ago, we looked at West Virginia with Bob Huggins there as a team that could be top fifteen. Yeah, but then they've lost Trey Mitchell. Jose yeah. Perez is off Coach the Huggins. team now. Coach <laughs> Huggins is gone. And now you lose Kirk Kreza, who they were going to rely for a lot of production for nine games. Yeah. West Virginia, thankfully their schedule is, I'll be nice, manageable. <laughs> manageable. It's not the toughest, but Big 12 play is going to be brutal. So that's going to be interesting. Last piece of news before we get into previews. The best uh, prep player in basketball right now. Hooper Flag made his announcement the other day. Obviously, he reclassified. He'll be in the 2024 class. Came down between Duke and UConn. He went Duke. He's going to be a part of the brotherhood. He's going to the Dukies. Coach Shire continues to show that he's going to be the real deal. He's getting his coaching X's and O's up. He got a season where I thought he did well last year. Now the recruiting staying on top. And uh, he joins what was already probably the number one class. By far the number one class now. Cooper Flag, if you guys are listening and don't know, Trev, tell them about Cooper Flag because this kid is a damn unicorn. I have it on my list to see this kid play in person in the next uh, 18 months, and I, I'll figure out a way to do it uh, come hell or high water. But um, Cooper Flag, just as a as a prospect, I mean, obviously projected to be the number one overall pick in the 2025 NBA draft. Just the versatility of that size. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Andre Kirilenko, to answer your question. Um, Andre Kirilenko, but just way better offensively. I don't know how else to put that. I better mean, offensively, athlete too, right? Better athlete, yeah. But defensively, yeah. that kind of prowess, even that early in his career. Um, I try to be careful, especially with these type of guys. Boozer Twins are included in that. I try to taper my expectations because college basketball, that transition isn't perfect for everyone. Um, but I think this was probably the perfect place for him to go. Nothing against Coach Hurley. But I, I just want people – the point I want to make out of the Cooper flag decision that I think is so important is that this solidifies, not that it hadn't already with two really strong classes and a really good year of returning uh, guys. We obviously haven't seen this year's performance. Anything can happen. But um, this solidifies that Duke is going to continue to stay dominant in, in the college basketball ranks of that level. And John Shire uh, just – is an unbelievable coach and an unbelievable recruiter and speaker and, and person. I can't wait to see uh, more of him up close this year. One thing I will say too, is like I found a really unique interview right after coach Knight passed away to kind of tie together Sunday's show uh, of coach Knight and coach K talking about Shire when he was the point guard in 2010, or they had moved him over to point guard. It changed the whole team and just, just cool to see the kind of stuff like that tie into what we've been talking about. But uh, I'm excited to see Duke and I think good Lord Cooper flag is going to be, he's going to be awesome. He, He's a unicorn, man. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think there was a lot of questions heading into last year. You know, is Shire going to be cut out for this? Because not everybody who succeed or is a successor, that's one of the hardest things to do is following the legend. And he's showing early on that this isn't a one-trick pony. Like, Duke's going to continue to be there year after year. And this is a massive recruit. One of the top recruits in the last decade, I would say, as far as hype coming out of you know, high school. Peyton, anything on Cooper Flag before we move on? Uh, the best part about this is like UConn coming off of a national title, a dominant tournament performance last year, uh, where they just shred through the whole damn tournament. Besides maybe St. Mary's, um, 
while Doster and all the other UConn fans really thought that Cooper Flag was going to go to or was trending towards going to UConn, even though I don't, I never believed that for a second. I always thought he was going to Duke and ended up coming to fruition. Uh, that's the funniest part about me. But no, Cooper Flagg is a phenomenal player. He's a phenomenal athlete. It's going to be fun watching him play at Duke. And as far as John Shire goes and Duke program going forward, I think John Shire, outside of Coach Cal, is probably the best recruiter in the country. I think he's second behind Coach Cal. I actually think right now he's probably – Slightly number one. Now, historically and longevity, Coach Cal has got him cleared. But if you're talking about momentum, I mean, they're at least neck and neck. I'll, I'll put it that way. They're at least neck yeah. and neck. Um, um, one thing I'll one thing I'll add just to kind of solidify just how important the 2025 thing is with Shire Pate made a great point. Um, he joins Isaiah Evans and uh, Con. I'm just going to go with Knebel. I'm terrible. At yeah, it's a different one. And then Darren Harris, um, three five stars and a four star for, and I know obviously that doesn't always translate, and yada yada yada, um, but that solidifies that that depth of that team, and they're going to have a chance to bring some really important guys back. Obviously, Tyrese Proctor, and I think Kyle Filipowski walk out the door, but it just just goes to show you like how quickly you can be back in immediately. Obviously, you mentioned I, I mentioned it many times in my previews. I had a lot of coaches be first-year coaches in my previews, and I was like, following a legend or following a strong head coach is really, really hard to do. And to know that there's a prowess there that's really, really important for Duke, I think you know Blue Devils fans should be smiling ear to ear. Um, the other thing I will, I will mention I think is important is just seeing – I got a chance to see him recruit. Uh, Phil and I were at the John Wall Invitational last year, and uh, Harp. Uh, I always get the guy. Is it Dylan? Right, Dylan Harper is coming up here, and yeah. I know he's uh, hasn't going decided yet. I don't. I think it's supposed to be going to Rutgers. I think is the yeah. the idea, right? That seems to be the crystal ball. I, I, I think. I think he's going to Rutgers. I think so too. But it, just getting to see Shire like recruit up in front, like I got to see him kind of talk to him on the sidelines, and it was just cool to get to see them interact. And it Shire is one of the best right now, like you mentioned. I just hammers that point. And I mean, again, last thing on it, he's, he's a young guy. He, he could oh, yeah. legitimately be there and keep Duke dominant for another 25, 30 seasons. I mean, if you're a Duke blue devil fan, you're smiling ear to ear right now. Um, but it is time. College basketball is back on. We're recording this on Thursday, November 2nd. So that means College basketball begins November 6th on a Monday. Normally it's on a Tuesday. Monday's a little different, it feels like, this year. But it just means a day earlier for us to get locked in and ready to go. Of course, <laughs> we joked about it. I don't think we're watching the IEPUI game. So, sorry. Sorry, Jaguars. But the games that we've got on the docket for the early week, Monday through Wednesday, there's some bad ones. There's, you know, it's kind of college football-like for a lot of big teams where you don't play nobody, and we've ran it on this before, where play people. You can play these charity games, just move it back a week, make it regular season openers, whatever. But there's a couple here I want to talk about that are very interesting, and let's start with one that's a fairly early tip, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. It'll be 1.30 local time out in Vegas. You've got the Georgia Bulldogs playing Oregon, the Oregon Ducks in Vegas. And I love this matchup because I'm one of the believers. I took care of the SEC in our magazine, and I have them finishing eighth in the conference. And I've got some believers. Shout out our, go our good friend, Nate Oatsburner. He's with me on Georgia. But the other people believe that they're just not going to do it. Read the preview in Georgia. I think Georgia is going to be the surprise team in America this year. 
And then Oregon trying to figure stuff out, trying to get back into a flow, make the tournament, win some games again. Peyton, you wrote about Oregon. Give me your breakdown of this game so we can start this off here. Yeah, man. I mentioned in my preview, the water down there in Eugene, Oregon, Oregon is very cold right now. After the last two seasons, for Dana Altman has not been kind to him. Uh, he hasn't really done much. He's had some talent. It's really ever since Peyton Pritchard left the program and went to the NBA, he hasn't had like any success at all, pretty much. Uh, but the talk of, for the coming into this season, the talk of the team was the or talk of the team was the additions of freshmen of Mookie Cook and Kwame Evans Jr. Both highly talented four-star, five-star athletes coming into this year. Mookie Cook is out to at least January with an ankle injury. He had surgery on it, so that takes him out of the equation. So they're already coming to the season with some adversity already. And the season, they haven't played one game in the season so far. So that sets them back a lot. The best player, without a question, will be in Fale Dante. But also, I mentioned in my preview, and Fale Dante has been very, very, like, I'm not going to say mediocre, but he hasn't really like lived up to his expectations. Yeah. This was a kid who was a five-star player. He was rumored. Kentucky was going after him very, very heavily. I remember talking about that about four or five years ago, Josh, like when Kentucky, Oregon, Kansas was going after him. That's two blue bloods. That's our top two winningest programs in college basketball history going after him following Dante. That's just how talented he was coming to high school. And he hasn't really lived up to those expectations that we personally set for him as being like a five-star athlete or a five-star player coming to high school. He's been averaging, I think last season he averaged about eight points per game. I think he can up that to double digits this season. Um, I think he's a good talent. He's a great player. But for college, he hasn't really done much. And for them to have to rely on him, they're going to have to till at least January until Mookie Kirk can come back. Kwame Evans will be good. I think he'll be able to do some damage in this game. But, I, man, I think Georgia wins this game pretty comfortably. Well, here's the thing. Oregon last year shot 31.9% from three. They are not a – well, at least last year, we're not a good three-point shooting team. They really relied on basically in Fale Dante. They shot, and he positioned himself, and they hoped he got an offensive rebound and scored or got a rebound and scored, kicked it out, whatever. Um, they weren't a great shooting team. So with that being said, we know Mike White's teams defend at Georgia. And you look at the talent coming back this year. Coming back alone, they've got two starters. Justin Hill, guard, and then guard-forward combo. Jabri Abdul-Rahim. Um, Rahim, Abdul-Rahim averaged 7.1 points, shot 38.7% from three. And he's long and athletic, so he can switch one through four, sometimes one through five. I couldn't imagine him being jumping out on and covering and following Dante in the post because that's just a bad matchup. But in this game... He can switch one through four. He's six eight. can guard the wing. So depending on what Oregon runs, whether handoffs or, you know, pick and rolls or whatever, he can jump out and theoretically cut off um, Oregon at the, at the point guard spot there. But it's the newcomers who make us excited about Georgia. We talk about our guy, Silas DeMary Jr., Bulldog, right? By the literal sense now, Georgia and in his play style, this, this kid's going to be phenomenal. Um, you look at guys like Blue Kane coming in as a shooter, can play as a ball handler as well in the backcourt. Noah Thomason coming in. Uh, RJ Sunahara was one of the better scorers in um, 
was it Juco? Yeah, Juco played Nova for Southeastern. Uh, Nova Southeastern, won a D2 national champion last year. His stat line last year was incredible, too. 18.9 points, 5.4 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.6 blocks while shooting 40% from three. Yeah, they won. Also, they were undefeated, and he's going to be a huge X factor without it. Yeah. And then you look at Georgia. They played their final exhibition game earlier this last week. This week, they beat Eastern Kentucky, who we have projected to win the A Sun this year. They beat them 99-82 in a high-scoring affair. R.J. Melendez, who the transfer from Illinois, who we know has issues with consistency, but he put up 21 points, nine rebounds against a good East or EKU team. And then the big seven-footer. This dude is a monster. Seven foot, two hundred seventy-five pound, fifth-year senior Russell Chaway gave him ten and ten for a double-double against Eastern Kentucky. If he's playing in this type of game, I didn't think he would crack the rotation that much. But it looks like Coach White's going to play him. He could be the guy that tries to neutralize and follow Dante because he is a load of a human being. But this backcourt is what's going to win the game for Georgia. They're going to get after you defensively. Mike White's not going to let them not play defense. And then once these freshmen start seeing the ball go in the basket, we talked about Sunahara coming in as a shooter, scorer. Silas DeMary, he can play on the on the ball as a point guard, but he's probably going to play off ball like a two guard, can get downhill, can really attack. I think he's got a lot of room to be a great defender by years in. R.J. Melendez can change a pace once he get in the uh, full court. I think all signs are pointing that Georgia wins emphatically is my prediction. I think Georgia wins this game something like 88 to 71. They defend them. They lock them down. I think our guy, Silas, is going to have a good game. Maybe not a great game, but a good solid game. 9, 10, 11 points, a couple assists, you know, but a solid game. I think Georgia is just going to be so under the radar good this year that I'm so excited to watch them. But I, I just don't see – Oregon, to me, doesn't have shot makers right now. They have been following Dante, and that's about it right now. Georgia's going to deal them up, and I think Georgia wins comfortably, Trev. Yeah, yeah look, I won't add much. You guys, uh, I think, hit on really a couple of good things. A couple of overview things I think are really important for both teams. Uh, I wonder if the Kalel Ware stuff is addition by subtraction. I, you know, and, and I was, I've been a fan of Kalel for, you know, better part of last year as an NBA draft prospect. So I have my questions there. Um, for Georgia, I think this, they need this win for a couple reasons. One, uh, it, their schedule doesn't get any easier. Uh, I'll give it out for those that don't know it. Uh, Oregon to start the year, they go Wake Forest at home, North Carolina Central at home, both uh, good teams in the state of North Carolina. They play Miami. Uh, in the Bahamas, and then they'll play the winner of Kansas State Providence. They play Winthrop at home, who's no you know slouch either. Uh, Florida State, think of what you want there. I think they could have done a better job matching up Georgia uh, in the ACC-SEC Challenge. They play Mercer, who I think is going to have a better year in the SOCON. I wrote about them. Georgia Tech's going to have a decent year with Miles Kelly. I think they'll handle high point. Mount St. Mary's is going to be a top three team in the MAAC. Uh, and then North Florida, Alabama, A&M before they start conference play on January 6th. I mean, that is a blood. That is probably one of the toughest non-cons in the entire country. Well, and completely agree. And then just throw in the SEC. We all think the SEC is going to be an incredible conference this year from top to bottom. And so Georgia could, if things go bad, they could be facing five or six losses before they even hit conference play. But if they it could can be win, good for them, though. It could be really good for them. Could be very good. Trial by fire with a young team that's trying to build something special. But on the flip side, fellas, 
if they come through this where they've got some very markets, let's say they beat Miami and a couple of these other teams you talked about, they go into Wake and beat Wake. Dude, they're going in the SEC play potentially a top 25 ball club. Yeah. With a good net ranking in the top 30. They're going to need it, like I said, because they go at Mizzou, uh, home against Arkansas, home against Tennessee to start the SEC play. They go South Carolina, they can handle them in Columbia. Uh, and then they go at Kentucky, uh, home against LSU, and then at Florida. So, yeah. I mean, I-, I like this Georgia team. Again, it's all in the magazine, and I think I'm part of the few, but I love what Mike White's building. They just got a great recruit. Speaking of recruits, Dominic Wilkins' son committed. He's a five-star kid staying in the state of Georgia for next season. So Mike White's building something here, and I think it starts this year. Georgia is one of those sleeper teams to keep an eye out, and I think that they handle Oregon. Um, I gave my prediction 88-71. Peyton, I know you said Georgia wins, but you got to score. Yeah, 82-70. I got Trev- Georgia winning 82-70. Um, 80 is a lot, man. I know the offense is gonna it's gonna take some time to figure it out. So I'll go set. I go 75-62. I still think it's a big, big, big deficit. So, so we got a Georgia clean sweep there. Stan in Vegas later that night, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. On in the East Coast here, you got number 19, and these are, are the rankings for the ECB poll. Number 19, USC plays Kansas State. Um, note on that, Naquan Tomlin just got suspended indefinitely for violating team rules or whatever the case is. I, no word yet if he's eligible for this game or if he'll be reinstated, but we're taking it that he's still suspended. So that's a big loss for K-State. Um, Trev, I'll let you start on this one. USC's got incredible freshmen. We know that. They got Boogie Ellis back. They're ranked in our top 25 poll for a reason. K-State coming off of an incredible year one for Jerome Tang. They lose some key pieces, but they also pick up a couple of good transfers. I think this is going to be a very fun opener on night one of college basketball. Yeah, Tyler Perry uh, being able to play against Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis in his first game uh, in Kansas State is just going to be unbelievable. And uh, that's the matchup I'm looking forward to there. Obviously, USC's got the advantage at guard, but um, I think coming over from North Texas and just what he brings uh, is going to be really important for K-State. You mentioned uh, the suspension of Tom Lynn. Uh, I think the quote this morning or this afternoon was that, you know, they're going to treat it like a season-long injury, and if he comes back, that's great. So I, I just I know that there's more to be said there about what the suspension is and, and obviously what he got Damn, into. Damn, he must have really screwed up. Um, I'm, from what I'm seeing, it's legal trouble and it's you know getting into a fight and some other things. So and he obviously is going to be really really big for them. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the guard matchup between uh, USC's guards and Tyler Perry. Uh, you got a score prediction on that one? I, I like. I really like Kansas State. I told y'all uh, when we talked last week how much I like you know Jerome Tang, and I know that there were some additions that Peyton had mentioned that he was excited about. I know USC is the kind of the pretty prima donna pick. They're just, they're just so much more talented, and I think that scares me. But I, I think I'm gonna give Kansas State the win by four. I'll go. I'll go. Ah, I'll go seventy four seventy. Peyton, Oof. you covered both of these teams in the yeah. game. I was about to say, this is the Peyton Burton Classic, damn it. Let's go. I got both of these. I got both of these. It is. Uh, I, 
I don't want to damp on your pick, Trevor, but I am majorly concerned about Naquan Tomlin not being on this team. Oh, I don't feel good about it. Let me be clear. Because <laughs> I love Tyler Perry. Like, losing Naquan Tomlin, he's one of the only guys on last year's roster that started every single game for Kansas right. State. Yep. He was one of the returning starters coming back. He was, going to be, he was a reliable piece last year. He was going to be a reliable piece this year. A do-it-all type of player for Kansas State. Losing him... It really gets complicated when you look at their starting five coming into this game because Tyler Perry, Arthur Kaluma, and David Ngesson are for sure starters for me. After that, it gets a little concerning because I don't know who steps into their starting roles, whether it's Cam Carter, maybe they go young with like an RJ, RJ Jones coming off the bench or whatever. Like, I don't know where they're going to go to now that Naquan Tomlin's not in the mix for being a starter because he was going to be a starter like he was last year. So now instead of coming up with one starter now you gotta come up with two different starters now and it's just it's a lot it's just so much concerning for me coming to this game and i think usc has tremendous talent tremendous upside they got bonnie james which you'll see if he plays i'm not 100 sure i I, I would take i would venture he does not play earlier probably. in the year probably they're gonna be really careful with him and i understand that but still they still got a lot of talent isaiah Khalil, boogie ellis dj rodman they got enough talent to win this game. I think the talent of USC will be too much for Kansas State to handle. USC wins 77 to 68. So I'll be the tiebreaker. Still close, though. Still close, though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be yeah. the tiebreaker here. And I think the X factor in the whole entire game is Arthur Kaluma. Yep. I think I'm very curious because we got a taste of what Jerome Tang wants his offense to be last year. And high powered, fun can play in the half court, would love to get out, transition, shoot threes, all that, right? I want to see how he uses Kaluma because at Creighton, Kaluma could do it all. He could score at all three levels. He was a good defender. But I want to see if Jerome Tang tries to turn him into more of a go-to scorer. And if that's the case, and Kaluma can step up and be that guy like a Keontae Johnson, as Peyton alluded to in the preview, then I think we've got a different type of Arthur Kaluma and a different type of K-State because Kaluma is a better defender than Keontae Johnson was. Johnson's a little better scorer, but Kaluma can get there. So I think he's the X factor. You know, is he going to be the guy or one of the guys for Jerome Tang's club that late in the shot clock, do they give him the ball? Go create, go try to get a bucket. Who on USC is going to guard him? Because is it going to be DJ Rodman? Because they're going to have to put sides on him because Kaluma's not a small guy. They're going to have to put sides on him because if you put one of these guards in a switch, let's say they run a pick and roll and Kaluma's got the ball and Collier gets switched on him. Collier's 6'3". He's not small himself, but he's still a young freshman. And Kaluma's a veteran that can bully ball him. If you put Rodman, really good defender at 6'6", but I feel like Kaluma could get that step on him. So who's going to defend Kaluma if they use him in a more prominent offensive role with the ball? Um, it, it's going to be interesting. Andy Kennedy or Andy Kennedy, listen, Andy Enfield's teams defend better than people think. And they have they're, they're best when they have shot blockers. Um, they, they've got some size this year. Um, I don't know how to pronounce Vincent Uwachukwu, 7-1 sophomore. Peyton, are you expecting him to play vital minutes? Uh, Uwechukwu? Vincent um, Uwechukwu? 
We'll see. He's seven foot. He's a sophomore. Um, I forgot to mention, like, they got Joshua Morgan coming back. He's a starter from last year. They bring back three starters. I just – Kobe Johnson's back as well. I think – I don't know. I think the talent alone just is just too much for Kansas State in this game. So, so Morgan could be the shot blocker if Uwachuku doesn't get a whole lot of minutes, but that's what their defense relies on is a rim protector, so their guards can put a lot of pressure. A lot like Coach Calipari at Kentucky's teams do. Man, I'm on the fence because I think early in the season, this is a close one. I think if we played this game in January or February, I think USC clears them by nine or 10 points. I think I'm going to go experience with Trev in this one because I just think when I think offensively, Paluma is going to have a mismatch most of the time. And Tyler Perry can absolutely fill it up. I think K-State wins a very close game. Just because USC is trying to get their footing and it's going to take them some time to figure it all out with the new guys. And Boogie Ellis is prone to have some really bad games along with some really great ones. So I'll say K-State wins a very close one, 73-72. Could be a buzzer beater type game too. We're close there. Yeah, I said 74-70. My only thing I'll say really quick, I know we got to keep rolling. Uh, the Kaluma th- stuff, like I was, I understand I was a lot lower on, on him in the draft community last year. Um, the offensive creation stuff has just got to get better. I mean, he's not, you know, from obviously catch and shoot and some other stuff, he's got a strong physical frame, but I, I just don't project that the kind of offensive jump that he's going to have to take for Kansas state to be unbelievable. Now in a one game scenario, obviously like you made a lot of great points about the matchups, but I'm far-fetched to think. Now, if there's a coach that I'm excited about seeing that come you know, come to fruition, it would be Jerome Tang. Yeah, and, and I'm with you there. That's why I'm excited because Tang is a brilliant offensive mind. So I'm curious to see how he uses Kaluma in this setting. Um, and if he doesn't use him well, if Kaluma doesn't play well and Tyler Perry doesn't get off, then USC wins this comfortably, I think. But I, I'm going with K-State early. If this was played a month later, USC. But early K-State. Let's go to the... The marquee game of the early week, Tuesday night, or at least in my opinion, Tuesday night in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You've got Auburn playing number 20, Baylor. I think both of these teams, fellas, are in similar boats. I really do. I think both teams at their peak could win their respective conferences if they fire in all cylinders. But they also could both finish sixth in their conference. I think Auburn's got incredible guard play. Aiden Holloway, Katie Johnson, um, all these guys, right? Trey Donaldson, you bring Johnny Broom back. I like this Auburn team, but I don't love them. Peyton, I know you did Baylor. You feel the same way about Baylor. Trev, I'll let you start on this one again. Auburn, Baylor, I think th- this matchup's one in the backcourt. Yeah, I'll be really short and sweet. Um, I'm very in uh, same agreement with you when it comes to I think these teams are close. I am going to give the fact that I, I think Scott Drew is a better coach, and I think that'll matter in a game like this that is going to matter in the grand scheme of when we look at the net layer this year. So I, I think Coach Drew is going to outcoach uh, Coach Pearl, and I think uh, I think Baylor's going to win. You got a score? 69-65. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, Peyton? I have a five-point margin as well. I I have I still have my concerns about Baylor. 
Uh, but with this game being this early in the season, I've seen it too many times when, like, high-level freshmen to start the season just go ballistic. I've seen Andrew Wiggins do it at like, Kansas against Duke. I've seen Tyrese Maxey go off against Michigan State. And that also goes to my point about USC. I think Isaiah Kalir can go get you 20-plus in that game. But I think in this game, just because it's so early in the season, Jacoby Walter will be the difference, and I think Baylor's defense will be better than Auburn's, for at least a start to the start to this season. Baylor wins 74-69. Here's the thing. Johnny Broom's going to be the best front court player in the game. He's Auburn's leading returning scorer and rebounder at 14.2 and 8.4. He also uh, led them in blocks at 2.4 a game. He, he's a double-double machine. He had only 10 last year, but when he came over from Moorhead State, he had had in his final year there, he had 21 double-doubles. He's going to get back on board after a good year last year. I mean, honestly, those stats are really good, but I think he's due for a better year, maybe averaging a double-double with a block or two a game. I think he's going to be the best big man on the floor. Um, Aiden Holloway, I'm very curious, five-star point guard that can really change a pace, can really get up and down the floor could speed this game up, but can also speed himself up. I think the key for Auburn in this game, they're not a great three-point shooting team from last year, and they turned the ball over too much. They had some terrible, ugly offensive performances last year, but if Aiden Holloway is good, and Denver Jones coming over from FIU transfer can really shoot the ball. I'd like Auburn in this game because Pearl's teams will defend. They will play some ugly games if need be, but I think they've got offensive power this year with Holloway, with Denver Jones, praying for them that Katie Johnson plays a smart game, plays to his potential. And then I think Johnny Broom has a massive type game. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go for like 27 and 14 in this game. I think Auburn wins. Um, see, I, the South Dakota, they played there last year. There was a game there last year. And I don't remember what marquee game it was. But if I remember right, it wasn't great shooting. I'd have to go back and look. I don't – I think Gonzaga played out there, and the shooting wasn't great. I could be wrong, but I'm going to say it's a low-scoring game. I'm going to say Auburn wins 62-56, and Johnny Broom's the best player on the floor. 27 and, what did I say, 14 or whatever. I think he's going for a massive game. Kind of round out some previews early week. Those are the marquee games. We'll just talk about our favorite teams here. Not that we think they're going to lose or anything, which they could, but more or less what we're looking for out of our our season openers from our team. Peyton, I'll let you start first with Kansas. I know they play North Carolina Central. Um, give us your thoughts on that and just a quick preview. I think Kansas obviously handles business. Um, Hunter Dickinson, I think, will have probably a double-double in this game. It's, I'm really hoping Dwan Harris be more aggressive in this one because that has been a concern through the years, especially last year. When he's aggressive, he's great. But when he's kind of just too passive and way too much about just dropping dimes and all this other stuff, he tends. We tend to struggle. Um, I think he needs to be more aggressive this game. Nick Timberlake, hopefully he can hit some shots. He didn't really shoot the ball particularly well in that Illinois game. Um, hit a couple shots in our last exhibition game. Kansas obviously wins comfortably, but I hope to see Dwight Harris be more aggressive in this one. Trev, Carolina State plays host to... Citadel. 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 Um, I'll be really short and sweet. We, we shot like two for 20 from three. 
uh, against uh, Mount Olive, who's not exactly a uh, Division two or even three. I can't remember uh, team in North Carolina basketball. So I just want to see us shoot the ball better. I'm not exactly worried right now. We have a horrible non-con, uh, like a really bad non-con. So I need to see, you know, I'm excited to see Diara uh, play as well. I don't expect much. Um, yeah, it, I, if this was a central team, by the way, for Kansas, really quick, if this was a central team of the past. Uh, Lavelle Moten's got him uh, normally, pre, uh, you know, pre-prepared for a game like that. But yeah, this is gonna be a down year for the Eagles. So uh, good luck to Kansas there. Yeah, this is a game that Kansas game, especially, is a game that Hunter Dickinson should really eat. Like yeah, a 30, so I'm double a, double. Yeah, thirty thirteen type of night. Like he should. They better. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, Trev, I do want to ask you, because obviously North Carolina State's your team, and you, along with a lot of people, are really high on Carolina State this year. Give the people a player or two to watch out for that could really, not only in this game, but throughout the whole year, stand out. Um, So I mentioned before, I know Dennis Parker played a ton uh, in the Mountain Olive game just because of the opportunity. I don't think he'll play uh, a lot there because of that, unfortunately, uh, because of how deep the guard rotation is. Um, let me make sure I have the roster in front of me to make sure I'm not speaking out of tongue here. Um, I, I mentioned Diara. I am excited to see Diara play uh, transfer over from Missouri. Um, they've got uh, obviously DJ Burns is going to be returning. I think the guy that I'm looking forward to the most, they had a ton of guys in the transfer portal. Um, MJ Rice is the one people keep talking a lot about. Um, I'll go with Muhammad DR. I think he's going to be really good. Him and Middlebrooks will be a really good front court there um, to go along with DJ Burns. They're going to have a lot of bigs to throw at people, which was their problem last year. And then, I mean, obviously Kentucky plays host to New Mexico State. It's not the New Mexico State of a couple years ago where Chris Jans had them rolling. You know, they're they're under some uh, issues that we touched on in, in last season with some scandals and all that. Um, obviously, for Kentucky, I'm just looking for them to play good, to be completely honest. No bigs. Um, they play as we record this here in under a half an hour. They play their, they're about to play their final exhibition game. Their first one, you know, guard play. It, it, they struggled against um, against Georgetown College, who is a great NAIA school, but they struggled and then found their way. Guard play is going to be key. They're going to play small. Uh, Trey Mitchell a lot at five. Jordan Burke's coming in. They'll just take over at five. They'll move Mitchell to four if they're on the same floor at the same time. But it's going to be guard play. It does Cal, and he's shown still that he's going to play this modern brand of basketball where they spread five out and get a lot of spacing and shoot the ball. So against New Mexico State on Monday night, I'm looking for Kentucky to continue to run that offense, be efficient, Use multiple ball handlers. Rob Dillingham's starting to really turn it on here um, since the season officially started to kick off. So that's exciting. DJ Wagner didn't play great in his first exhibition game in Rupp Arena, but that could be attributed to nerves and playing a really good Georgetown college team. I, I just want to see him play well. I want to see the offense flow. I want to see without any big men, I want to see shoot a lot of threes, hopefully make a lot, be aggressive at the rim, lock in defensively. That's the two areas of concern this year with Kentucky until they get their big men back, at least one of them. Rebounding, because Georgetown College had like nine blocks, and they also had way too many rebounds for a team that doesn't have that many guys over six foot eight. So rebounding the ball, and defensively, they have to stay locked in. Kentucky's been really good on initial pressure and initial rotations but once a guy starts to drive by there's not a lot of help side so i gotta see better defense on monday night but 
all in all, this should be a fairly comfortable 25, 30 point win. One would think in Rupp arena. I just want to see the offense get better and be fun and efficient in this new brand of basketball. Hopefully one of the bigs get back before the Kansas game. Um, and then for Phil, since he's not here real quick, Illinois, um, they play host to Eastern Illinois. You know, we got to, we talked about, we got to see them against Kansas. Coleman Hawkins going to do Coleman Hawkins things. Uh, TJ Shannon looks like he's going to be an all American. So I would imagine Illinois probably puts like a hundred points up in this game. If we're being totally honest and wins by a whole lot. So I'm curious to see Illinois in the first official test of the year. Um, anything else? I mean, there's not a lot of other games to really touch on. I do have one. I want to give a prediction on real quick, but anything else on the Monday through Wednesday slate of games? I'll be really quick. Cause we, uh, obviously have been here a while. Uh, yeah. I'll be in attendance for Gore, uh, at Gore arena for Navy against Campbell. That'll be really fun to see Campbell's first, uh, real ga- first game in the CAA. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony Delorso be one of the best sophomores in the entire country. Um, and then I wanted to give you all nine games, and I'm not going to preview or anything. I'm just going to give you nine games. We'll come back to this next week, who I think are on upset watch for the road team. Like the road team can upset the home team. Iona Charleston, Queens Marshall, Winthrop Clemson, Princeton Rutgers, Towson Colorado, Fairfield Boston College. That one I think is a very strong likelihood. Uh, Kentucky Wesleyan, Western Kentucky. <laughs> as funny as that sounds. Uh, Youngstown oh. State. Uh, Youngstown State versus Louisiana and Bellarmine, Washington. Those are nine games that I have on upset watch. Um, I'll be taking a look at. I think if it goes five out of four or four out of five, whatever, or f- sorry, five and four, if the road teams go five and four there, I think that I think that's very likely. Well, you took my last one there because I was saving it on Tuesday night. Our good friends, uh, Bellerman, Scotty Davenport, head to Washington. And I misspoke. I said Monday night, but you know what I mean, Tuesday night. I think there's a real possibility because they're going to make Washington defend that offense. Peyton, we've seen it firsthand. We know how good his offensive teams are. Garrett Tipton, Ben Johnson can really shoot the ball. Washington, if they're not careful – They'll probably run zone with Keon Brooks and Xavier Xavier Wheeler and all of them. If they're not careful, Bellerman can absolutely get them. Bellerman's got to shoot the ball well. But I'm with you, Trev. That's the one I had marked down. I think Bellerman, if they don't win, I think they keep it close for 35 minutes. And then just Washington kind of gets away from them late. I think Washington's got to lock in defensively or else Bellerman's going to dice them up. Yeah, watch out for Ben Johnson in that game. I think this kid can have a phenomenal year this season for Bellman. I think he's going to be one of their better players uh, this year like he was last year. As far as, like, upset watch, I got one more for you guys. My OVC winners, Moorhead State takes on Alabama in Alabama. I don't – I'm not saying that Moorhead State beats Alabama, but I'm saying they have a legitimate shot to go in Alabama and beat them. No more Brandon Miller. No more Javon Cornerly for Alabama. They're still going to be very talented. They went 24th in the AP poll. I don't know where we have them in our poll. I don't have our poll uh, up right now. But Drew Wall is a phenomenal player. He averaged about 11 points per game last season. Mark Freeman, the lean scorer, is a dog, and he's really damn talented. They got two really talented players in Thelwell and Freeman. I think they could upset Bama. I think Bama wins. I think Bama wins. But would not shock me for our next episode, 
Morehead State beats them. And we can talk I, about it. I love that. That's a good one. That's a bold pick, but I love that one. Uh, for our IU fans, uh, they open up Tuesday night as well. Florida Gulf Coast should be a, a fairly comfortable kind of get your season feet wet kind of type of game. I am curious. Florida Atlantic plays at Loyola Chicago on Wednesday night in their opener. And I know Loyola is not the Loyola of a couple years ago, but that's on the road. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if um, if Florida Atlantic can handle that pressure. It's going to be interesting. I think they win, but you never know. That could be an interesting one. Also on Wednesday night, Arizona State plays at or plays Mississippi State in Chicago. Obviously, no Tolo Smith for Mississippi State. Arizona State might get Mississippi State in that game if Mississippi State's guards do not play well like DJ Jeffries. So that's it for the early week games. I'm just so excited that we get an opportunity to finally preview live college basketball. As we start to round out episode 159, a couple things. How about women's college basketball on opening night has two top 10 games in one night, and the men's won't have any top 25 matchups for like the first week and a half. That's crazy to me. And I still think the women's game missed an opportunity by not night one making LSU, Iowa, you would have a massive viewing audience, I believe. But they got two top 10 games in one night. They always do that. They did it last year, the year before. Like NC State was like number one team in the country coming to the year. Them and South Carolina played. Uh, it was like a top three matchup, and NC State ended up beating them. So they've been doing this for like the last three to five years. And I think it's really damn cool. And definitely the men's side needs to step up. Do I think it will happen? No, because a lot of these coaches, they want to ease into a season. And there's only one coach in America, two coaches. No, I'll be nice and say two coaches. Two coaches in America that wants all the smoke. That's Tom Izzo, and that's our buddy Scotty Davenport. Scotty yeah. Davenport kind of has to do it since they're a mid-major team. Tom Izzo, do they play in the Big Ten? They play in the Champions Classic. He don't have to load up on his non-con schedule. If anyone can ease into a schedule, it could be him. He chooses not to do that. He says, screw all that. Give me the best teams year in and year out we'll play him and we'll consistently do that that's why i have so much respect for tom Mizzo and what he's done at michigan state because he wants all the smoke he wants all the smoke and but no good on the women's games though i mean i'm not gonna lie i'll probably tune in i think ohio state notre dame's one of them and off the top of my head i can't remember the other one but i know there's two top 10 matchups or really top 10 or top 25 regardless the rank versus rank matchups Good on the women's game for that. Um, love to see that on the men's side. Peyton, I do want to mention, since this is the first official preview show of the year, kind of normal shows, I do want to mention that this year we will be dedicating the entire season to our, our fallen friend, John Adams, the former head of NCAA officiating, was one with us a time or two last season, voted in our top 25 poll. I think we mentioned his passing uh, a couple shows back. It just it's a kind of out of memory because John was so good to us and really believed in us. So all of our shows this year is going to be dedicated in his memory because he believed in us. And this is our way of kind of trying to repay the debt of gratitude back to him. So, John, this is this whole season's for you, our friend. Um, and then Peyton, last thing I've got before we get the hell out of here. It's been a long episode, longer than normal on a Thursday night, but just buy the magazine. We have one of the better. We've mentioned this before. If you buy the, the Almanac from Field of 68, great. 
if you buy the the blue book or the ribbon or whatever it's called or any of the other ones sporting news or whoever's got a magazine awesome buy ours too ten dollars for some of the best independent team coverage from all well 362 of the 363 teams of college basketball of course whatever chicago state but um I mean, I'm a fan. I know we did it and I know how hard we worked on it. And it, the links are in, we'll put the link in this episode. You can also find them on the Twitter at ECB podcast and the Facebook, just search up everything college basketball, go buy a magazine. I think it's well worth it. And especially with season starting, you'll want to get your information because I'm looking at our magazine now when we're talking about some of these teams. I have been the whole time. We've been recording here. I've been looking at the magazine and taking notes beforehand. As far as, like, the women's games go and the matchups, number 10-ranked Notre Dame plays number 6-ranked South Carolina. And I don't know if that's a – if this is a, a mistake on their part. It probably isn't. It says this game's in Paris, France, which is crazy. Uh, that's actually pretty badass if that's true. Um, another top well, I'd 25, imagine it is. Another, yeah, another top 25 matchup was 21-9 USC plays uh, Ohio State, who's ranked 7th. That game's in Las Vegas. Uh, a, a rivalry to start the game, and that starts season off for my team. Number 17-ranked Louisville plays at Cincinnati. That's an old yeah. rivalry, so that's cool to see there. So it's cool to see the women's games having some high marquee matchups to start the season. And that's on night one. That's on Those games are on Monday, by the way. So I'll be I'll be definitely tuning in for those. But, yeah, the play is up to John Adams and his family. Just He's done a lot for us. He came on the show before, uh, spoke to you and Phil. Uh, great episode. He was a great guy to us. He was a voter in our ECB um, top 25 last season. Uh, definitely go buy the magazine. I agree with everything you said. Man, college basketball is back. Let's go. Cannot wait. Um, again, guys, don't forget that this Sunday we've got a nice pre-recorded show. Cannot wait for you guys to hear that in tribute to Bob, head coach Bob Knight and his legacy. A lot of great stuff that you want to hear in that. And our pre-recorded interview with the head coach of Bellarmine Knights, Scotty Davenport, gives me like 34 minutes. It is well worth the listen. So, we do have an episode coming out Sunday, but for the next live regular episode where we will actually get to go back and talk about these games we just previewed on tonight's show and look ahead to the weekend slate and beyond, we'll be on episode 161 next Thursday. So set your calendars for that. But until then, for Peyton, for Trevor, who had to get out of here a little bit earlier, and for Phil, who couldn't make it again tonight, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Enjoy the time together because college basketball is back, and I can't be more excited. Let the games begin, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you down the road.